started a new series looking at, at, at the Sermon on the Mount. It was the lo longest recorded uh, sermon that Jesus Christ had ever preached. has a lot of wisdom. It's really the next steps, if you will, in the Christian life. It's how to live the Christian life. And, uh, and really, last week, we started the, three, the first four Beatitudes. The first four Beatitudes was your relationship to God. The second four Beatitudes, which we're going to look at today, is your relationship with your fellow man, the relationships that you have around you. You know, there's a lot of times that... that uh, that we, we use this term, that person or that organization, or even that church, that's, they're, they're just a class act. I mean, you hear that, right? And sometimes we use that and we'll talk about an individual and say, well, that man or that woman, you know what, they're just a class act. Or we'll say that organization or, or is a class act. Or we'll say that, that, that church even sometimes. We say, you know what, there's just something different about that, that group of people, that church, that organization, that person. And we would just say that, you know what, they're a class act. And a lot of times when we say that, you know what we're saying? We're saying the way they respond to people is different than other people. I mean, we say that they're people of integrity, they're people of transparency, uh, they care about people. And usually when we say someone's a class act, we're saying the way they respond to people, not mean, not vengeful, not resentful, not, not in bitter, they're, 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 with, with great integrity. There's a statistic that came out this last week that kind of shocked me. eHarmony, you know, the dating service and the matchmaking service, they did some statistics and they found that a third of the men that go on eHarmony are married. Yeah, I don't know if they're going for an upgrade or whatever, but they go. You know, and they probably have wives that says, I'd like to put him not on eHarmony, but eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get rid of it. And then two-thirds of the men that are on eHarmony lie. They lie about their height. They lie about their weight. They lie, lie about their looks, their, their income, uh, their social status, education, all this other stuff. So that gives you a lot of encouragement about that. But we would say someone like that is not a class act. And so Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes especially, especially the four that we're going to look at today, Jesus was saying, hey, these are some identifiers, these are some attributes of someone that truly is a class act. For instance, Jesus said, if you're just merciful, if you're a person of mercy, in other words, that if you care about the hurting, you care about the hungry, you care about the less fortunate, you care about people who have needs around you, Jesus would say, guess what? Man, you're... Here's the class act. Jesus would say that, boy, if you're consistent in belief and behavior, he put it like this. He said, if you're pure in heart, it means to be sincere, it means to be authentic, to where your beliefs and your behaviors match, then Jesus would say, guess what? That person is a class act. And guess what? All these attributes should be true in everyone's life from what Jesus said. Jesus said that, you know, a class act is a person that's a peacemaker. A person that tries to bring reconciliation to difficult circumstances, tries to avoid conflict, tries to operate life in a different way. Jesus said another class act is this, is that when someone insults you and persecutes you and talks about you and gossips about you, then you're able to, at some extent, to rise above it and not get back down on their level to where you trade insult for insult and comment for comment. You don't walk away with bitter and angry. I mean, we've been around people that we would say, you know what, the way that they handle their fellow man, the way that they handle the relationships around them, we would just have to say they're a class act. Carrie Prejean, uh, Miss California, this last week made major headline news with the Miss USA pageant. She was, she was supposed to win. Everyone, all the experts believed that she was the winner, she was the one that was going to win, until they came to the question and answer period. And she was asked the question by Perez Helton, 
and Perez said that based upon Vermont and some of the other states with same-sex marriage, uh, are you for it? What, what do you think about that? And she was very diplomatic, and she was very loving even in her response. And she just simply said, well, she says, you know, uh, for me and my family, for my country, for my beliefs, for my personal beliefs, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And the booze started when she made that answer, and people tried to drown it out with, with people clapping, and the experts say that she lost the Miss USA crown because of that answer. The next day on an interview on the Today Show with Matt, La Matt Lauer, Matt asked her this question, said, said, Carrie, if you had to do it all over again, would you change your answer? Because Perez Helton said that if you would, just be, would have been politically correct, and if you had have just said that I simply believe everyone should find happiness in their own way, that even though he knows that you're against same-sex marriage, that would have been good enough for him, and he would have voted for you. And she said, well, that's the sad thing of where we are as a country. You can no longer say your personal beliefs. You can no longer say what you believe. Everybody wants you to be politically correct. And so what they're wanting you to do is, is really lie about how you feel. And you, you can never solve anything like that. And she says, you know, to answer your question, she says, no, I wouldn't trade my answer, change my answer, even though it cost me the crown. She says, because here's the deal. I was true to myself. I was true to my beliefs. I said what the Bible teaches, and I said what I believe. And I wasn't condemning of anybody. I wasn't mean. I just said I know that it accepts, upsets some people, and I'm sorry for that. And we would say that a person that is able to do that would be a class act. So the real question for us this morning is this, is, is should Christians keep their beliefs to themselves? I mean, that's the real question that, that Carrie Prejean brought to the forefront this last week. That's really what Jesus is talking about in the, the Sermon on the Mount, is that should Christians, should we as believers, should we keep our beliefs to ourselves? Or how about in your sphere of influence? The people you work with, the people that you do life with, your family, your community, your neighborhood, your friends, should you keep your Christian beliefs to yourself? And that's what Paris Hilton says and others say. They said, don't force your religious values on us. Don't bring religion into a contest. Don't bring religion into politics. Don't bring religion into other things. Just If that's what you want to believe, fine, but just don't force that on us. But it's okay for them to force their beliefs on us. But it's just not okay for a believer to say this is what we believe. And so Jesus is talking about this in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the four Beatitudes, but at the end of it, he kind of is, is a good communicator. He tells a story, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to look at his story first, and then we're going to move back through the Beatitudes, because this is so important. Jesus said in verse 13, he said this, Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, this is what Jesus said. He said, hey guys, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And so when we look at salt, we understand that salt has a number of uses. Salt can add flavor to the food, right? I mean, it brings out the flavor in meat. It can bring out the flavor in other foods. It enhances the flavor of food. So salt can be used as, uh, to add flavor. Salt can be used to melt ice. Salt can be uh, used to make one thirsty, and some take salt tablets and all this other stuff um, to, to, to bring thirst to someone. But... But the problem is, is that when we look at it that way, we really don't understand the depths of what Jesus was talking about. We have to understand his culture. You see, salt was used for, well, was a preservative in their time. They didn't have refrigerators like we have today. So when they would butcher meat or when they, they, they would catch a fish, 
they would take salt and they would pack the, the cavity of the fish with the salt. It was a preservative. They would rub the salt on the meat. It was a preservative. And so Jesus was saying this when he said, you're the salt of the earth. He says, he said, basically, you're, you're a preservative. And basically, you're pr to preserve godly values. And left alone, without a preservative, this world, what Jesus said, will deteriorate. Sometimes it shocks us to see uh, society going farther and farther away from God and, and, and more godless. But Scripture said this, that men will go, evil men will go from bad to worse. And we're, just, we're, at, we're, we're watching that happen. And so Jesus was saying this, that, that your job as believers, your salt, you're to preserve. You're preservative. And, and he was so strong to say that salt can lose its saltiness, which is not good for anything other than to kind of fill potholes on the highway or the road to to where it's just like, it's like sand. And when you look at this issue of salt, you find that salt chemically is sodium chloride. Salt can't lose its saltiness. It's chemical. So what he's talking about? Again, in their culture and in their time, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea could not be mined for salt even though there was a lot of salt there because of the amount of gypsum that was in the Dead Sea. And it became diluted. It became impure. And so what Jesus was communicating to them, <laughs> as I try to communicate to you, <laughs> what he was communicating to them was this, that it's possible for you to lose your saltiness because you become impure. You're just like the world. You live life just like everybody else. There's, there's, absolutely nothing, there's absolutely nothing different about your lifestyle. The choices you make, how you do life, how you do business, how do you deal with family, how do you deal with friends. You're just like everyone else. And he says, and when you do that, you're not a preservative. When you do that, the fact is, Jesus was saying, man, I know this is hard teaching, But if there's nothing distinctive, different about you, and you don't preserve the truth of the gospel, and Jesus is saying, you have no value to me. You just have no influence. You, you, you have, you're of no value. This is not only true of individuals. This is true of churches. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. And I just said it in Saturday night service, and I said, hey, I'll say it every service. Not many pastors are going to tell you this. This service is not all there is to church. This is a part of it. And I'm glad you're here. And this is important that we open God's word and we worship. But listen, if this is your view, and listen, if, if, if you're a traditional Christian, and if you've been born and raised in a traditional church to where they taught you this was church, then you're not going to like what I'm about ready to tell you. You're not even gonna, you probably don't even like that statement. You've kind of pushed back, says, what? Listen, let me tell you again. This is not all there is to church. This is a part of it. It's a part of it. But it's not all there is. Listen, Jesus was saying that believers, if they believe this is all there is to church, then guess what? You are of no value to the community. If this is all there is to church, just a holy huddle of what happens inside these four walls, then guess what? We are no value to Pueblo, Colorado. 
No value. We are no value to the world. We are no value to the community. Listen, let me tell you something, just a little bit about church history. And I know it can be dry and boring and all this stuff, but Jesus Christ, after he was crucified, died and resurrected. The first 300 years of Christianity is a real interesting time. The first 300 years of Christianity, Christianity was outlawed in the Roman Empire. It was illegal to be a Christian. So Christians were martyred and for their faith and, and, and persecuted, and they had to meet in hiding and all this other stuff. But at the end of that 300-year period, all of a sudden, Christianity is now the national religion of the Roman Empire. It's the only approved religion of the national empire, or the Roman Empire. So you have to ask yourself, what did they do? What did those unschooled, ragtag group of fishermen and all these other guys, uneducated, all these guys, what did they do to turn the world around? To where the Roman Empire now looked at them and says, guess what? There is something real about that. We'll make that the national religion. I'll tell you what they did. They understood church isn't what happens inside here. They cared for the poor. They cared for the widows. They, they cared for the orphans. They cared for the hurting, the sick, the hungry. They, they, they had a disregard for their life. They understood that life wasn't all about them, their, their success and their happiness and their peace. They got outside of the four walls. Fact is, there's stories of a plague that took place in those first 300 years. And so if you got the plague, it meant death in their time. And families would literally, if a family member got the plague, they'd kick them out onto the streets. The moms and dads were kicking kids out onto the streets and brothers and sisters and everything because they didn't want to affect the rest of the family. Do you realize it was the Christians that went and got them? They had disregard for life and disregard for themselves. The interesting thing is, is now as medical science looks back on the plague, they learned that the Christians who went to them, their bodies built up antibodies or whatever and became immune to the plague. And so they started taking them in and they started getting them well and helping them and, and uh, caring for them. And a Roman empire that was anti-Christian looked and says, wow, there has to be something real about that. And it turned a whole country, it told a, turned a whole nation around. Listen, let me tell you something. Salt, to be any good, has to get out of the salt shaker. It has to get out. And there's a lot of believers that believe that this is a salt shaker, but man, we don't ever have to sprinkle on the community. And man, with what you guys did over Easter and 1,500 families that are going to eat for a week because of what you gave and because of what you did. And just hear me. This isn't all there is to church. It's how you act other places. In the home, on the job site, in your career with people that you deal with. Because what happens is, if you live your life in a certain way, you disqualify yourself to invite anybody to church from your office, or your job site, or your school, or your community. Because you're no longer salt. You're living life just like, I mean, you're insulting, and you're criticizing, and you're gossiping, and you're griping about. And Jesus would say, you've just lost your, and you just lost your saltiness. And Jesus, to try to illustrate that another way, says not only are you like salt, but you're also like light. Watch this, verse 14. He says, you're the light of the world. A, hill, a, hill, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so light illuminates, right? But 
We don't appreciate light like they do. I mean, they really appreciated light. We've got flashlights brighter than any light they would ever have. And so light was a huge deal in their times. I mean, have you ever been looking for something in the dark and someone turned on a light in a room or brought in a flashlight in the backyard or wherever? And it is like, wow, now I can find what I need. And so light was really important. It helps light the way. It helps show you of danger. It helps all that other stuff. But, but Jesus was saying, your life, is like, your life is like a light. And there's a lot of people that will take this verse and say, wow then I can just let my light shine before men and not ever have to say a word. Jesus was saying your testimony is like a light and shouldn't be hidden, just like you don't take a light and stick it under a popcorn bowl, but you take a light and you put it up at a high place in your room. And I'm willing to bet almost everyone in here, if I ask you the question, how did you become a Christian, it was because someone talked to you about it. It was because someone mentioned something about church or about your life. It wasn't from you just, it wasn't from you just observing someone's life and saying, wow, I'll become a Christian. It wasn't from you just reading the Bible and says, wow, I'll, I'll just become a Christian. It was because someone spoke into your life. Verse 16, Jesus said this, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, so you and I, from what Jesus said, can't say, well, I'll just live life how... How I think God wants me to live life and I don't ever talk about my faith. I don't ever talk about my Christianity. Uh, people will just notice. And, but Jesus says, wait a minute, the example comes first, then the verbal witness. The lifestyle comes first. Because you first have to earn the respect to, to speak truth into someone's life. And so your lifestyle, the example comes first and then a verbal witness. Both are needed or God doesn't, well... But Jesus says God doesn't get the glory. I mean, both are needed. Both are important. I mean, Miss Carolina or Miss California, when she made the statement, marriage is between a man and a woman, all on its own, that's just a moral statement. It was, that was just a moral statement. But when she came back the next day with Matt Lauer on CNN and Fox News and all the other interviews that I've seen and read the transcripts from her interviews, when she came back and said, the reason I said that is because I'm a Christ follower, I'm a believer, it's based upon what the Bible says. It's based upon what God says. And it has given me peace in my life. All of a sudden, she brought it down to a testimony. She not only let her light shine, but she let them know where her light comes from. And now then it moves from her example that she was willing. And can you imagine this? She was willing to lose the crown to Miss USA. The example comes first. Your lifestyle comes first. But the witness is important. And for some reason in our day and time, we've made this witnessing stuff kind of like freaks everybody out because we think we're is supposed to be, we're supposed to argue with them or threaten them or whatever. And I've never met anyone that's been yelled into heaven <laughs> or argued into heaven or judged into heaven or criticized into heaven. I mean, have you? I've never met anyone. And so what Jesus was saying is, is it's supposed to be it's supposed to be different. For instance, if you help someone and they say thank you, you know, simple testimony saying, you know, the reason I helped you is because I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. That's so easy. Watch this. Jesus said in Mark 9, 41, I tell you the truth, and whenever he says that, you've got to look at it. But he says, anyone who gives you a cup of water 
in my name. That's important because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Now, now listen, Jesus didn't say anyone who gives you a cup of water because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus added the part. Jesus added the part. It's your, it's your behavior and your verbal witness. Anyone who gives a cup of cold water, what? In my name. In my name will receive a reward. And so when, when someone, when, when you help someone, when you give someone food, when you minister to someone, when you encourage someone, and they tell you thank you and how much it's meant to them and you're a friend or whatever words they choose to use, Jesus would say, you come back and say, the reason I did that is because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Do you realize the people that we give food to, the food pantry that we gave food to, we give food away every week. We give food away. We give, we, we, we give, uh, we buy, we help with rent. We help, I, anyway, we help with a lot of different, we meet a lot of different needs during the week. And we do the same thing with everybody every week. The reason we did this is because we're Christ followers. And we just want to be obedient to what he has called us to do. It's not, it's not because you're a great person. I mean, there's a lot of churches that unless you're a member of their church, they're not going to help you. That's not true of our church. I can't find that in scripture. And so a verbal witness is saying the reason that I did that is because I'm a Christian or because, because I'm a Christ follower or because if you don't change your ways, you're going to burn in hell. Or some, I'm teasing. Just seeing if you were listening. <laughs> you guys are serious this morning. <laughs> that was a joke. But you understand what I mean. It's belief and, and behavior. It's, 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 it's your actions. And then, then you earn the right. Now let's look at some of these beatitudes that Jesus said. Then he went down and he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Man, the, one of the best ways to influence the world for Christ is to show mercy for the hurting. It's what the early church did. They cared about the community. They, mer they, 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 they ministered to the poor and the hurting and the less fortunate. They got involved in the community the same way. Do you realize there's people in our community who take a notice of our church because we adopted Span Elementary and we're sending 50 volunteers in there every week? Because of what we do in community ministries, because of what we do with a food pantry, because of what we've done with the pregnancy center, because of what we've done with other areas, because it's not just all about us. Church isn't what just happens inside these four walls. It is not all about us. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those. Blessed are those who minister to the hurting and to the the less fortunate. And many unbelievers, I, I'm just telling you, many unbe unbelievers, they reject the message of Jesus Christ because they see the church no longer caring for the community. And they're rejecting that message. Remember the story that Jesus told about talking to a Jewish audience and he was talking about the man that was going down the road and he got beaten and robbed and they took all of his money and took his, his robe and different things and beat him up pretty bad and he was on the side of the road bleeding and, and all of a sudden he, here came two preachers going to church and all of a sudden they saw the man on the side of the road and the scripture says that they, 
they changed to the other side of the road, acted like they didn't see the wounded man. Because, see, they believe that church is what happens inside here. Church is what happens at the church house, at the building. And they totally ignored the man. And then another man, a Samaritan, which the Jews hated, that the Jews thought were less than human, uh, came by. And, and do you realize he had little disregard for self? Because that could have been a carjacking gone bad. That could have been the robber on the side of the road. That could have been the man that attempted to rob someone else and lost the fight, lost the battle. Now he's on the side of the road. It didn't matter to the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan took and bandaged up his wounds and, and took him to Parkview Hospital and ER and they took care of him and he paid for his medical services. He took him to a hotel, gave him his, 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 his visa card and said, anything he needs, put it on my account and I'll be back in three days to settle up. And then Jesus turned to the hypocrites, to, to the crowd, the people that believe church is, is just what happens inside the four walls. And Jesus says, now, who's the hero of the story? And they said, oh, that's easy, the good Samaritan is. See, the world takes notice. The world takes notice when a church and a people group and Christians understand church is more than what happens inside the four walls, although it's part of it. You know, I want Fellowship of the Rockies' reputation to be in the community as this. Oh, that's that church that just cares about people. They don't judge, they don't condemn. They get out in the community and they serve and they minister to people. And they're a church that is just kind of strange. They care, I mean, I mean they just care about people and 1st John 3:17 says this if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need has no pity on him how can he say that the love of God is in him I mean basically what Jesus is saying is blessed are the merciful blessed are those that when they see a need in church they they don't say it's for someone else to meet they say it's for me to meet. I'll do my part or when they see a need in a community or or wherever do you know a person that's hurting? You'd love just a thank you note, a word of encouragement, a helping hand. Some of you say, you know what, I, I know you're going through a lot and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful. What a wonderful promise for they'll receive mercy. You want mercy in your life? Give it. In fact, it's all through Scripture about what you give away, you get back. This is what Jesus, look, here's another one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. In other words, pure in heart means this, someone that's sincere and someone that's real and someone that's authentic, someone that's just, just genuine about life to where there's a consistency between belief and behavior, to where their, their, their walk matches their talk to where they're just, they're just real and they're just transparent. And, you know, I guess maybe we would say is that type of person is, is what you see is, is what you get. Because here's the deal. No matter how much you talk about your faith, no, how much, no matter how much you invite people to church or wear Christian logos on your car or your T-shirt, If you're not careful, your behavior can disqualify yourself to where you can't invite anyone to church. 
It's one reason I don't have a Christian logo on the back of my car. <laughs> I did. That happened to me one time. I was running late. This is just a story we'll tell. But I was running late when we were at Hogue Hall, and uh, I cut someone off. I mean, I cut them off because I was late. and Well, I drive like that normally, but, but I just I cut them off. And then I realized, you know, I'm heading to church, and I realized, oh, no, they're going to the same place I am. I called Steve Allen and says, I'm going to be, I'm going to circle the block a couple of times. I'll be a little late. <laughs> I didn't want him to see me. Who it was It cut him off. Anyway, but <laughs> if you're still here, I'm sorry. But <laughs> I bet you're not. <laughs> but you know, I mean, whether it's the way you drive or whatever, that if you're not careful, that you could behave in such a way on a job site or, or office or school or whatever that you can't be light, you can't be salt because, man, you've treated people so badly or like everyone else, you can't invite them to church. I mean, it, it, it's, it's behavior than a verbal witness. It's being consistent with belief and behavior. I don't know, we'll never get totally there. But it's getting as close as we can so we don't disqualify ourselves. Look at this. Here's another one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. A peacemaker is someone that tries to bring reconciliation to two parties. In other words, a peacemaker is someone that doesn't try to make the situation worse. They try to make it better. And Jesus was the, the prince of peace. And even in the midst of persecution and difficulty, that he still, and he was still without sin. And, and sometimes you... You make peace by stepping in where there's conflict and trying to be a mediator or trying to talk. Sometimes you, you make peace by stepping out of a situation. You ever been around someone and, boy, you can be around them an hour and they're going to tell you everyone they don't like, dislike, who's treated them bad at the office, the job site, wherever, who they're upset with, and, and you just sit there and you just look at them like, wow, wow. There's nothing attractive about that. There's nothing attractive about that. And Jesus said, if that's you, you can't be salt. You can't be light. You have no value to me. Because you're doing more harm than good. And, and so sometimes it's avoiding conflict. I mean, someone insults you or, or cheats you or mistreats your child, I know. It's hard. Because our, our instinct is just to get even. Our instinct is to trade insult for insult. But a peacemaker tries to absorb the hurt and rise above it. Or Proverbs says you become, you become just like them. You're no different than the person that you're complaining about. You're no different than the person that you're, you're criticizing. There's some of you in this room that you've been peacemakers for a long time and only God knows. The only reason you have a somewhat harmonious relationship with your adult children is because you've observed, absorbed hurt after hurt after hurt but the relationship was more important to you than anything else. Some of you have lasted through marriages as a peacemaker. And you've observed hurt after hurt, disappointment after disappointment. And you think, you know what? Nobody knows. 
Nobody knows. Beatitudes say, God knows. God knows. God knows the hurt you've absorbed. God knows the disappointment, the pain, the questions that you've asked. And everybody may not know a clue or have a clue. But the one that matters most knows. Peacemaking means also that you don't always let people run over you and become a doormat, and Jesus talked about that. But it does mean this, out of Romans, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That doesn't mean you will. We bought into these false beliefs that believe that we can make everyone happy. We may know that intellectually, but we don't know that emotionally. We can't make everybody happy. Jesus Christ didn't make everybody happy. He was perfect. I mean, he was perfect. He was without sin. And Jesus Christ could not satisfy some people. Listen, you sometimes will build into false beliefs and believe if I handle situations differently, they'd be happy, and that may not be true. The last one is this, is blessed are, the, are those who are, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, blessed are those that are persecuted for my righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to be honest, a lot of times we suffer because we're a jerk. I mean, a lot of times we suffer because we're obnoxious or, or, or we're a jerk or we said something, we did something that we weren't supposed to do. And so many times Christians will say, oh, blessed is the one who's persecuted. No, you caused it. Here a while back, the pastor that made headlines news when the Security Exchange Committee uh, Commission came into his church because he was living, his, his personal account was a church's account, and he was, he was doing all this illegal stuff, and, and he was on interview after interview and said, you know, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian. No, you're being persecuted because you're corrupt. So Jesus didn't say that blessed are you when you're persecuted because you're obnoxious or because you're a jerk. Jesus said this, blessed are you when you're persecuted, not because of you, but because of me. Man, I'm telling you, they have called Carrie Prejean the most horrible names that you could call a woman. The most disrespectful names, degrading names that you could call a woman. It's all over. The anger, the hate, the death threats. She was asked here a while back, she says, what do you think about your accusers? What do you think about your accusers? She just looked at him and says, I want the best for them. And I pray for them. And I don't even understand why they're saying what they're saying. I mean, I miss California. Several weeks ago, Proposition 8, the majority of California voters voted that marriage was between a man and a woman. I can't even believe this. But she says, you know what? I wish the best for them. I pray for them by name. Every one of them. I don't wish them any harm. And I don't understand why they call me the names that they are calling me. And she says, and you know what? I mean, what a strong testimony. She says, you know what? 
God's in control of my life. God has a plan in my life. I would never get to share my testimony if I didn't say what I did and lose my crown. And I'm going to speak to young people about standing up for what you believe and saying the truth regardless of the consequences. I've now earned the right to do that. See, it's behavior and words. It's behavior and verbal witness. It's way more than just, just living a life and saying, well, I hope they, they figure it out for themselves. It's, it's, it's both. It's both. Jesus said this. Jesus said the reason that we rejoice is basically three reasons. First thing is this. When people insult you for him, you're in good company. Jesus was perfect. And they insulted him and they criticized him and they persecuted him. They ultimately put him on a cross. So you're in good company. The second thing is this. Is that your reward in heaven will be greater. Your reward in heaven will be greater. I mean, see... We believe the Christian life, this life is temporal, it's this world, it's way more than that. I, I buy into the send it on ahead theory. Man, I'm sending my rewards on ahead. Because one day we're going to be in eternity and God says there's rewards for that. The other thing is this, is, is when, we when we respond with joy and difference like Kerry Prejean, the world takes notice. There's people writing articles about her and about her difference in how she didn't get down on their level and trade insult for insult and all this other stuff. And they're talking about her Christianity. Now, let me just tell you, I wish I could stand before you and say when I'm falsely accused, when I'm persecuted, I say, thank you, Jesus. But I'm human and I'm flesh. And this may shock you. Not everyone's always happy with me. <laughs> with some of the things I say up here. And I'm telling you, I think it's easy to suffer when you know it's your bad. To suffer when you know you were a jerk, you were obnoxious, you shouldn't have said it, you did it. I think it's easier to accept that then when you know you don't deserve it and you spoke truth and you treated someone in a right way and for whatever reason they've chosen to insult you and persecute you and I believe with all my heart it's a process it's a process because our first reaction is to get defensive our first reaction is to show them where they're wrong our first reaction is to try to defend ourselves, but Jesus says, I'll defend you. And I know. My prayer for our church would be salt and light to a dark world. Because this community, this world needs it like never before.